Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here with you this week after the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Going to be reviewing that for you on this week's show. Uh, a little bit about the sprint format as well. I'll talk about the Sao Paulo sprint separate to the Grand Prix review because there is a fair bit to unpack from that and also um, what the future looks like too. I want to share my thoughts on it. As well as a little bonus segment this week, uh, there wasn't going to be any supercars chat, but they unveiled the 2024 calendar yesterday, so I thought I would also delve into that and um, give you guys my thoughts on it. So yeah, I hope everyone's doing well wherever you are in the world, um, wherever you're listening. Uh, we've got two more events to go this year for Formula One, or two more races I should say, because all the sprints are done and dusted. Supercars Championship as well, as I said last time, uh, we're off to the finale in Adelaide, which will be exciting. I was there in Adelaide 12 months ago, really, really hot weekend, awesome track, awesome track, don't get me wrong, um, you know, the history that is associated with that place because of Formula One from 85 to 95, uh, and yeah, since then Supercars has been a mainstay, except for 2021, um, after the Liberal government decided to can it after the pandemic started. But anyway, let's get into Sao Paulo Grand Prix now, Brazil Grand Prix, whatever you want to call it, it is known as the Sao Paulo Grand Prix because the city um, of Sao Paulo funds the event it's not done by the federal government at all um and yeah it was actually a decent race i know these tire management style races are a bit boring because we don't get much racing but we had a last lap thriller to decide p3 which was great um but the inevitable (laughs) the wonderful whatever you want to describe him as max verstappen he won of course and also surpassed alan prost's record of 51 wins so he tied last time out at um in mexico and now he's sitting there on 52 wins and you know if he wins another one he'll be tied with seb vettel and then if he wins another one he'll surpass seb vettel and go into the top three uh of all time so you know that shows you just how ridiculous verstappen's winning record has been in the past three years in particular and you know there's no sign that he's gonna stop unless he is dissatisfied with those 2026 regs as we've heard him talk about throughout the year but the elephant in the room let's discuss it Charles Leclerc and why is he so unlucky (laughs) is the line that he uh, said in the car when he crashed on the way to the grid or not on not on the way to the grid but on his formation lap uh, he lost all hydraulics and crashed at the same corner he had done at last year's Sao Paulo Grand Prix as well I can't remember if it was in the race or in the sprint that he um, crashed at that corner but you know you got to say that front row start wasted. Nothing like really malicious to it other than Ferrari reliability just letting him down once again. But, you know, Leclerc, in recent races, the discussion has been around how he's got so many pole positions in his career. He's got as many as Fernando Alonso does, yet he has only converted a quarter of them into race wins. You know, for example the stat floating around that Sergio Perez has more wins 
than Charles Leclerc does, or Max Verstappen has won more races from Charles Leclerc polls than Leclerc has won from his own polls. So it is quite galling when you look at that, and and a bit funny too, but I don't think it'd be funny for Leclerc or for Ferrari. So, you know, hopefully that's a stat that can change soon. But yeah, to grab a DNF like that, or not even starting, it's pretty, pretty sad. So anyway, that's him done and dusted. And a shame, because they were on the front row. I predicted that they weren't going to go far in the race potentially they would have finished on the podium depending on how everyone else was behind because Mercedes had a dog of a weekend but we had Aston Martin on form McLaren again very comfortably the second quickest team out there and you know are they cutting that gap to Red Bull is the big question it was only an eight second win this time for Verstappen over Norris but the big question will be next year how far can they take their development through the winter and you know how close can they be to Red Bull because of course McLaren still has more you know CFD and and wind tunnel test time than Red Bull would uh, for example even though McLaren did move up the constructors championship in that latest block the way it works it's it's on a is it 12 months or six monthly basis that they do the scaling and yeah McLaren did move up in that time so they'll have less than they would have when they started the season but you know still more than Red Bull because of course Red Bull has that 10% extra penalty that they took for their cost cap breach back in 2021 so that's the top two Fernando Alonso versus Sergio Perez Perez for third with the Aston Martin winning out by a whisker and that was a cracking battle at the end there and glad to see Checo back up there and you know doing his thing where he's racing hard and you know you look back to go back 10 years now more than 10 years these two added in Malaysia when Checo was in a Sauber and Alonso was in a Ferrari two cars that were nowhere near capable of or should not have been winning races, not that the Salba did, but the Ferrari, of course, being dragged into championship contention and losing only by three points at the end. But, you know, these two put on a stunning battle that day in Malaysia. I'll always look back on it quite fondly, that race, and that was Checo's first podium as well. But, you know, Alonso taking the biscuits again on this occasion, um, but it was just a fascinating battle, you know, really good Um went for a while there Checo sizing him up and yeah eventually got the move done on the penultimate lap got ahead and then Wally the Wiley old Alonso 42 year old comes back and uh takes third off him on the final lap and then there's only like you know little little whisker between them across the uh, finishing line so well done to them and I think that would have been a big boost to Aston Martin as well the whole weekend actually with the results that they got um, which we'll go on a bit later about I won't talk about the sprint as I said it'll be discussed separately because I also want to talk about the changes that are being proposed or rumored and whatnot and throw my own two cents in it for what it's worth but the race itself now, Max, he led away as normal. Lando made a cracking start from P6. Yes, he was down in P6 because qualifying on Friday um, caught McLaren out. Unfortunately, there was ominous conditions coming out. It turned apocalyptic. It was it was literally, you know, it went from being daylight and someone had switched on night mode all of a sudden, and here we are. Um, and McLaren, unfortunately 
being caught out, you know, you had Aston go out there and set some banker laps and they ended up being third and fourth in the session, whereas McLaren, they were sixth with Norris and then also um, Oscar Piastri, unfortunately, having an off there at uh, the junction corner and that caught out, I think, Perez as well from being able to improve on his fastest lap with the yellow flags coming out, but... Yeah, that's how, how McLaren got caught out, unfortunately. And then from there, it didn't really improve for Piastri because uh, he finished last of the classified runners in the race. Um, we had a red flag out early on the first lap, pretty much at the first corner, because Alex Albon touched Nigger Hulkenberg and then collected his teammate, Kevin Magnussen, into turn one. And that took Magnussen and Albon out, unfortunately. And then there was a loose wheel, uh, on track, it went rogue and whacked Oscar's rear wing. So there was rear wing damage on the McLaren, and then a near miss on Ricardo. And Ricardo said something like his life flashed before his eyes. It was that close that it could have wiped him out um, entirely. So really fortunate that nothing serious happened with that. But of course, they had to red flag the race get everyone back into the pit lane. Um, you had both the Aussies in the garage as well, in their respective garages, and they were able to repair their cars, but had to rejoin the race when it restarted with a standing start, a lap down, I think. Yeah, they were a lap down because they went into the garage, and then that meant that they had to do a pit lane start, and, you know, for some reason they ended up a lap down, and there were two laps down at one point in the race, which was ridiculous. I mean, why would you go back out there with no hope of rejoining the lead lap and you're circling around in 13th and 14th. Two cars that could have potentially been in points contention too when you look at, obviously, McLaren's second fastest car at the moment and then, you know, Alpha Tauri as well being on a bit of a point streak thanks to Yuki Tsunoda, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to a bit later too. So very disappointing in that respect, but, you know, at the same time, it could have been a lot worse and we would have had some... Uh, injuries and casualties and stuff so glad that that didn't happen with them but it's been a bit of a rotten run of races for Piastri someone's pointed out or um, something on social media came up and pointed it out ever since his uh, you know magical weekend in Qatar where he won the sprint race and finished second in the GP um, yeah Kota he had contact on the first lap, I think. I still haven't actually watched that race. Mexico um, was a struggle as well. And, you know, making contact with Yuki Sonoda there towards the end of the race. Um, and then now this weekend, Brazil just, you know, it hasn't really come together. So, of course, these are tracks that uh, Oscar, as a rookie, has never raced at before. And it's, it's you've got to still remember that he's a rookie, even though the expectation is now that he's a front-running driver. But... You know, I really can't wait to see him next year because I feel like next year with, with a full season under his belt, he'll know all the tracks except for the ones that they haven't been to, such as China when it comes back and Imola, I guess. Well, he will know Imola from, from F2 days or whatever. If, if F2 did race at Imola, I can't remember. Um, he'll be he'll be fine, you know, and we'll see, get a true reading into, you know, against Norris, how they fare over a, a season when they've got that experience under their belt so 
Really looking forward to that, but back to the present and back to the race. We had the race restarted on lap four, which Max nailed the getaway from the standing start ahead of Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton. Yes, Lewis Hamilton up to third it was, but unfortunately he lost that that position at turn four with Alonso looking to bounce back from the start, and indeed he did to get into the third place, or onto the podium, I should say. The third place sounds like such a boomer thing to say, but anyway. um, And Mercedes, Mercedes with their difficult weekend, and with Hamilton dropping behind Alonso, that pretty much started the the troubles for him in the race, because he had a queue of cars behind him, um, but he had to go straight into tyre management and he wasn't making a big fuss about it, but his teammate George Russell behind him was moaning about not being able to get past his teammate because he thought he was quicker. It wasn't the case at all because they both had their car balances off, the setup of the car wasn't right, the cars were pretty poor at managing their tyres across the weekend. I think just Hamilton was doing a better job of it and George was being impatient. And, you know, just putting it out there, uh, like I preferred Russell when he was a Williams driver um, compared to a Mercedes driver. He just seems very impatient and demanding. And I know, yes, the best demand everything, but there's a bit of grace about it too. And, and Russell comes off as being quite entitled, which I don't like, especially for a white boy. But anyway... Um, Yes, he had a power unit problem that they recognised, a potential power unit problem, uh, which caused them to retire the car on lap 59. So another DNF for Russell. It's been a very, very underwhelming season, unfortunately for him. Not all of his fault either with all the reliability problems he had. I can still smell the smoke coming out of his power unit um, on the pit straight in Melbourne. Um, no, I, I really can't because, you know, they are quite efficient and they don't really emit that much carbon anymore. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a season to forget for George. And for Mercedes in general, it's been a season to forget, you know, while we thought that, you know, they've made some positive steps along the way. Toto Wolff looked despondent after the race and um, when, when asked about whether the car you know, deserves a win this season. He's like, no, it doesn't deserve a win at all. It deserves a place on the scrap heap with the W13 from from the previous season for sure. So what are they going to do next year now is the question. And there was news that Mike Elliott, who was the technical director coming into the new Ground Effect era and was the chief architect of the, the Zero Pod concept, which didn't work out. And then this year they did a sideways move between him and um, James Allison with, with Elliot effectively getting promoted. But, you know, he's decided to leave Mercedes altogether. He's been there for the best part of 10 years so wish him all the best in his endeavours. There was, you know, someone who suggested that uh, if I was his old mate in James Vowles over at Williams now, I'd be possibly giving him a call in a couple of months' time saying, hey, I'd love to bring you on board to our team because, you know, we, we are getting things right now at Williams, which is good. And um, you've, we would have seen uh, Pat Fry in Williams' uniform as well in recent times, so that's uh, good for them too for the future. But it's going to certainly be a busy uh, winter for Mercedes trying to close the gap, understand their car better, 
is it worth you know just coming in with a whole new concept next year of course they've got the side pods on now it's it's the only way really to to try and get back to where they were before the start of the new regulations but even just be closer to challenging Red Bull week in, week out. So, yeah, I guess they blamed as well the fact that there was one practice session for the whole weekend to get their car right and the Park Ferme, it gets locked into Park Ferme before you go into qualifying and then the sprint day on Saturday, but that stuff will um, I'll address after when I talk about the sprint races um, on their own. So... In terms of the pit stops, we saw Alonso come in on lap 26 for the mediums, Max and Lando in two laps later, um, and Sainz after Ferrari switched on their medium tyres, and poor Carlos Sainz being the only Ferrari left in the race, and finished a you know a decent sixth as well for them. Still important that he finished ahead of both Mercedeses because they've still got that Constructors' Championship battle going on for second and you know it looks like they're they're just hanging on there or not really Ferrari are behind by 20 points but you know they were able to close the gap a little bit um with Hamilton the only scoring Mercedes down in eight but yeah Sainz was quick to dispatch the Mercedes after the switched on the medium tire and hey you know for once Ferrari actually getting some tires to work for them against one of their immediate rivals being Mercedes you had Checo and Hamilton in on lap 47 for their second stop Alonso in a lap later and that actually helped Alonso undercut um or helped Checo undercut Alonso, so was able to close right up on him, and that's when that little battle began, when Checo was closing in on um, him before lap 70, and then was able to pass on lap 70, but Alonso ultimately got back through into third on the final lap, and double points for Aston Martin, you know, that's something we wouldn't have said in recent times after the dogged run that they've had it feels like that they've basically undeveloped their car or you know gone backwards in recent times but Lance Stroll getting his best finish since the Australian Grand Prix where he got fourth and still not on the podium yet Stroll but you know for putting in the third best lap in qualifying qualifying third um on Friday and then coming home to finish fifth I think it's you know the best we can ask from Stroll at the moment and it kind of keeps that battle between McLaren and Aston alive as well not that you know I think it's realistic um it's like 22 points or something I don't think that's quite realistic given the the actual form that McLaren are in and how much quicker their car is than the Aston, so, but still, they need to find some positives and um, see if they can make a difference, you know, heading into next year. There was double points as well for Alpine after they both got grid penalties, did Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly, so that was impeding in qualifying. They were uh, whacked like George Russell for that offence, and um, Gasly ended up 7th, Ocon in 10th, um... Yeah, so what you can say is good on Alpine. They need it, I guess. You know, they need it more than they do celebrity investors, that's for sure. Um, And then, yeah, Hamilton, P8, and then P4 in the sprint. Sorry, um, no, he wasn't P4 in the sprint. But um, Checo 
his results with a top three in the sprint was able to extend that gap in the world championship over him. Of course, you know, second is still very much target or it's that bone of contention really, whether he'll keep his seat or not. Um, if he loses second, who knows really, Red Bull will do Red Bull's things. And I was thinking this morning, I don't think we're going to get a decision on it until after the season. So, you know, I really hope Checo does stay, um, you know, contrary to stuff that I've said that it's, you know, he needs to just take time and, perhaps it's the end look I really hope he stays but he stays and brings a whole new mindset in next year that you know it's not going to be a world championship for him but he needs to support the team and get that constructors championship for a um, third year in a row it will be next year of course yes get confused every time uh, the commentators on Sky are like oh you know they've they've done an the third consecutive title double. I'm like, no, they haven't. They didn't win the Constructors in 21. That was Mercedes. Uh, Max has won the title three years in a row, but Mercedes has, uh, sorry, Red Bull hasn't. So, you know, get your facts right, Crofty. Um, yeah, so that's Checo. Uh, and Yuki Sonoda, like I said earlier, continuing his point streak as well. And that was P8 in the Grand Prix. Sorry, P9 it was. And a seven-point gap to Williams now um, in the Constructors. Now, that's not something I would have said earlier on in the season, considering where they were. So, yeah, between 8th and 7th in the Championship... There is potential for um, Alpha Tauri to get that. Now, coming into the, the Grand Prix, I think, yeah, the gap was a little bit bigger. And I was like, eh, I don't think um, I don't think they'll do it this year. And Williams have worked hard and deserved the, you know, they've, they've, they're clearly better than Alpha Tauri. But these recent run of races, you know, Alpha Tauri with the upgrades that they've had and they've got Ricardo back in there too. I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled something out of the bag. Not that I want to see them do it, but I'd rather, you know, um, I'd rather Williams get that well-deserved seventh place. But yeah, seven points in between them for seventh. That's going to be a big little battle going into the last two races. And especially with Vegas coming up as well, anything can happen. And no, I'm not going to talk about Vegas on this podcast or preview it um, or you know, you'll hear my thoughts after the race is done uh, next weekend. So just wait and see for that. So, yeah, great little, great little um, roundup to the Sao Paulo GP. It's also important to point out that fourth in the Drivers' Championship is very close as well, with only six points separating three drivers in Alonso, Norris, and Sainz. And, you know, for Norris, it would be his best ever finish in um, uh, a championship if he was to finish fourth. And considering, you know, where they started the season, to come back and finish fourth in the Drivers' Championship is incredible. Alonso, his, it would be his best finish since 2013 if he was to hang on to top four spot. And, you know, for signs as well, I think it would be his best finish um in f1 as well and signs has really been my pick of the ferrari drivers this year i've always been a carlos signs fan of course a smooth operator hard not to you know there's nothing that you can't like about the guy seriously you know if you don't like him then you've seriously got a problem and need to get yourselves checked anyway let's talk about the sprint now um and it was the last one for the season as i said before it's a bit ridiculous how we had the last three 
crammed into the last sort of five race weekends or four race weekends. So we had Qatar, um, Austin, uh, off in Mexico, and then, yeah, in Sao Paulo. So, yeah, three in the last four weekends, which is absolutely ridiculous. They really need to look at having them more spread out through the season. Um, but as well, this was the third year that we've had uh, sprinted into Lagos um, and definitely probably the weakest one that we've had. And, yes, you know, there was passing and overtaking and whatnot, but I think the novelty of sprint weekends have kind of worn out because... The whole idea with the sprint was, in the beginning, was to add that extra race, um, add extra entertainment for the fans, and let the drivers go flat out. So it was only 100 kilometers, you know, for a reason that, you know, they should be able to push flat out. But the fact that this one turned into more of a tire management stint, you know, an extended stint with tire management, it's like, well, that defeats the purpose of the sprint, doesn't it? So... You know, what do they do for next year? Like, I personally don't care. Like, as in, I don't care for the sprint. I've never been a fan of it. I feel like the traditional format was fine. The way that it built up to the race, it meant that the the race was the highlight of the weekend and, and the qualifying as well. You know, F1's problem at the moment to create, you know, entertainment or to just create closer racing the onus is on the teams to do a better job to to create that to to have better cars develop better cars to to be closer to red bull and whatnot it's always been the thing it's nothing to do with with f1 and the rules you know they've given you the rules they've said look you know we've we've made it easier for you with the cost cap now and everyone's on a more even playing field now it's up to you to do a good job so should we really be rewarding mediocrity no in my opinion, no, that's not what elite sport is about. So, you know, that's my argument for, you know, why I don't subscribe to the idea of sprints. But, you know, I, you know, I'm not a dinosaur and I do like moving on. So I'm accepting them kind of, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of accepting them, but I don't like them as such. That's how, that's probably a better way of phrasing it. But yeah, it should be up to teams to do a better job to create a better championship, you know, and, you know, you can't criticise Red Bull for being as good as they are, nor you could criticise Mercedes in the previous era for being as good as they were. It's up to everyone else to do a better job and not rely on rule changes and, you know, engine freezes and things like that to, to close the gap, you know hire the best engineers, you know, be more smarter in the way you develop your car kind of thing. And that's, you know, something you can look at Mercedes and be like, well, you, you it's your mistake, you know, so why are you blaming everyone else for it? You know, you, you made the error in the way you, the concept that you went with. Um, whereas Aston Martin this year, they, they got it right at the start of the year. McLaren, the way that they've been developing their car have, have got it right. So we can't reward mediocrity or excuse it, but what is rewarding, you know, as a fan watching the weekends and watching the races is seeing teams like McLaren, you know, not because I'm a fan of them, of course, but, um, you know, seeing them naturally make their way or naturally progress and evolve back to the front of the grid. And it's been a long journey for McLaren, you know, going back to 10 years ago, 2013, that was the first year of their decline. And to 
it's come basically full circle and back to a more competitive position where, yeah, they are Red Bull's closest challengers. They're fighting for pole positions realistically and and, and for, for second place. And if something happens to Max, they'll be there for the win. That's that's the progression we want, but you know, everyone. We live in a world where you know instant gratification is is more important, and you know, do we really remember the results from sprint races? Is is my question to that? You know, yes, I remember Piastri's win, but is it a win? So that's that's where I stand on sprints, and not much has changed since the first year, since twenty twenty one, when the sprints were brought in. But I guess what can be done to improve the weekends a little bit more and the talks of moving GP qualifying back to Saturday afternoon like that yes would be great because qualifying is where it all comes together that's where the gloves come off after all the practice sessions you finally get to see who is truly the quickest as well and it gets you hyped for the race on Sunday if you have the qualifying on Friday, you forget about it. That's what's happened so many times this year. You forget about what's happened and then you're f- caught up in the bubble that is the sprint. And that's unfortunate. So Friday this year in, in Brazil, you had Aston Martin on the second row. Lance Stroll puts in his best qualifying of the season. <clears throat> Sorry, raspy throat. Stroll puts in his best qualifying of the season, but nobody cares until Sunday again when you realize oh that's the grid for the for the race well there you go so yeah if they move it back to Saturday afternoon that would be great but then have the sprint race on Saturday morning so more like an F2 style you know having the sprint first thing in the morning um I think that's how they do it anyway can't remember no, I was totally off with that. But anyway, have the sprint race in the morning and then have your sprint shootout or whatever um, on, on Friday afternoon, you know, if you want to still keep the the first practice session or one and only practice session. So this is good, like I said, because I dislike the fact that the Grand Prix qualifying is on Friday and you forget by Sunday. Um, and I also like the suggestion that Park Ferme doesn't actually kick in until the qualifying for the main race um, Saturday afternoon and after the sprint race. So that would be great because then you're not locked into your setup that you had on, on Friday practice, which, you know, it's, I guess because Mercedes wanted to throw the toys out of the cot this time because they messed up. But it actually could make the sprint a lot more interesting too and people won't be stuck managing tyres and, you know, basically surviving as you know I've heard quotes throughout the year and um, Max I think in Melbourne made that point about surviving basically and that's not what the outcome or like the intended consequence of the sprint was meant to be Um, but then again you know you can argue cost cap wise it's not really great too with all the damage that it can cause at certain races but yeah you know park ferme get rid of it if if we were able to for for the sprint just to allow for a bit more flexibility we might see a few more surprise results should it be a standalone championship that's where it gets a bit cringy because already statistically it's frustrating trying to remember who won 
sprints, how many sprint winners we've got, does it count to anything, like yes you do get the points from it and whatnot, but it's not the same as a Grand Prix win and Oscar, you know, winning winning a sprint this year, which is technically his first win in F1, but not a Grand Prix win, so this is the thing that I hate, it just... Racks, I rack my brain, you know, try to figure out what it all means, the validity of it all. But what can you do? This is what F1 wants. This is what the fans want, apparently. I don't know. Probably all the all the fans out there on on social media who who have a have a say in everything. Um, qualifying format for the sprint, like the they call it a shootout. What kind of a shootout is it? It's basically just a smaller or a shorter version of the three-prong qualifying that they currently have for the Grand Prix. I think that could be different too. In my mind, I'm looking at, you know, some of the the supercar-style qualifying sessions, maybe have like a 20-minute qualifying with the whole field and then the top 10 progress to like a super pole or top 10 shootout where they get one lap and that determines the top 10, um, or do it, if you want to have, um, take up more time, have, like, two groups of 10 go out, um, for 10 minutes, or 15 minutes, or whatever, so that's half an hour in total, have them in two groups, and then the top 10 times overall are sent into that shootout kind of thing, so that could be a little bit more, um, varied and varied there could be more variables with track conditions and whatnot like you know track conditions in the first session could be better than what they are in the second session so maybe group one will be more favored than group two and that could be done in like reverse championship order or something I don't know because I don't want to see this reverse grid stuff that people keep talking about so maybe that's a way of 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 trying to experiment with that or you know do it in in pit lane order or um constructors championship order so the top five teams or um the top five teams or versus the bottom five teams I don't know all I know is they need to do something a little bit different because you know, I haven't really cared much for the sprint races this year. I think for me, the novelty wore off after the 2021 um, sprints. You know, we've had a few, a couple here and there that have been good, but overall, it's just been you know whatever. Give me, give me a Grand Prix, give me a full race any other day. You know, we're going to still get the same thing with tire management and stuff like that. And that's another thing. You know, I feel like. Once the fields get closer, and again, this is the whole thing about mediocrity being rewarded is, you know, we basically have this Pirelli situation where tyres can only last a third of a distance to create strategy, yada, yada, only because, yeah, you know, teams aren't all on an even playing field or aren't doing a good enough job to be closer to the the lead team being Red Bull, so we've got to try and, you know, create some variable and strategy there, I want to see them go more flat out, but it's not going to happen anytime soon, is it? Feel free as well if you have any thoughts to share with me, or you, you want to, um, you know, give me feedback on, on what I've said about the sprint format and everything, just to check in with the social account, the X formerly known as Twitter, um, account at hit the apex media and um yeah you know i'd be keen to see 
and hear what um, other people have to say as well. But let's talk supercars then real quick before we finish this one off. So we got the calendar out for 2024 yesterday. A few surprises in there. A bit of disappointment too in the fact that it's only 12 events again. Um, this whole idea that, you know, of course, the, the minimum uh, as part of the contract with Foxtel, the pay TV provider, is that they have to have a minimum of 12 events. And, you know, ever since the pandemic, you know, they're just trying to fulfill that quota. And it's like, come on, guys, you've got circuits like Phillip Island, Winton, Queensland Raceway, and next year, the bend as well, that will sit out, you know, why can't we go there? Why can't we have that? And, you know, there's financial reasons and whatnot that are linked to it as well. But, you know, it just shows you the sign of a championship that's just, yeah, not got their things together, not got their affairs in order, really. And it's it's really disappointing. But running through the calendar, it does start with the Bathurst 500, of course, um, which I talked about last time. Um, and that format is the same before going to Melbourne with the full race format um, to support the Australian Grand Prix. Um, then round three, which I like, is going across to New Zealand. So three cracking events to begin the season in New Zealand for to the Talpo circuit. Really looking forward to that. And they're going to do two 200-kilometer races there. So one thing that I'm really glad that supercars have is the the three race super sprint weekends because yes it, it it got us through the pandemic you know the the novelty was great until it wore off which wasn't too long after you have you know four consecutive weekends at sydney motorsport park but it wasn't really doing anything for me and I'm sure a lot of fans will be happy to see it gone because again tire management races they're not they're not fun they're not exciting i want to see long distance races you know we can see some really cracking ones like we saw on the gold coast over the weekend or last weekend for example and you know sandown and bathurst they're i guess they're endurance races but still of the same mantra with refueling but i don't know if we'll see refueling in this new format that we're going to have starting off with the Perth Super Sprint because they're a pair of 60 minute timed races so I don't know if they do refueling for an hour race I thought an hour and 20 is usually the threshold for um, refueling and that the format that they used to have pre-pandemic so go back go back to 2019 that's you know what I really enjoyed I thought it was a great balance you have two races for the weekend um, at a decently um decently sized race as well duration wise so I'll, I'll reserve judgment till we see um come the perth super sprint next year in may how these timed races go we've got the same format in darwin as well um so i'm guessing that they'll probably revert to the old triple crown prize as well because there's no three races anymore and it's still called the Darwin Triple Crown, um, and then off to Townsville for two 250k races, Townsville 500, Sydney Super Night, uh, a lot closer to Townsville now, so we're not going to have that big gap between July and August, so that's two 200k races, um, which will be at night, and that'll be exciting, must try and get to one of those one year, still haven't been to Sydney Motorsport Park, believe it or not, and yeah, then 
after that is the real surprise. Tasmania, all the way down in the middle of August. And I've not been to Tasmania ever, so but I have heard that in the middle of winter it can quite can get quite chilly so it'll be interesting to see how that one goes down in August but then we wait a month until the Sandown 500 the 60th anniversary of the supercars in sorry the 60th anniversary of the Sandown 500 gee I'm, I'm getting through it today um and quite possibly the last as well given that the Bend has been promoted to um, Enduro race in 2025. So that was confirmed as part of this announcement of the 24 calendar that while the Bend won't be on the calendar next year, we'll be returning the year after. So, you know, we don't know when or like which part of the calendar will see it. Could it possibly um, take over the Sandown 500, which was the... Uh, plan back in 2020 before the pandemic happened as well. It was meant to be a 500k enduro race before Bathurst, and then of course the 1000 in its traditional October slot, followed by the Gold Coast 500, which still stays as a single driver race, and then Adelaide um, rounding out the series on the 14th to the 17th of November. So yeah, and then six events will be on free-to-air or on Channel 7, plus the Melbourne Super Sprint on Channel 10 as part of the Grand Prix coverage, and we'll have six Super 2 rounds as well, starting off at Bathurst, Perth, uh, Townsville, Sandown, Bathurst again, and Adelaide. So would have liked to have seen more um, Super 2 races in there, but, you know, again, I feel like Supercars is very much still in pandemic mode and whatnot, and not really doing anything to to come out of it because yeah like super two is important i feel or any feeder series or junior category is um is important and you know for for supercars in particular it would be nice to see the super two series featured a little bit more than it is currently so yeah we'll leave it at that like i'm disappointed it seems again like a pretty conservative calendar in the fact that there's only 12 events um and we're missing some key circuits otherwise you know it's it's just the the same really that we've had from supercars for the last few years the gaps are pretty much the same between races you kind of have you know a flurry of activity at the start of the season you know with with Bathurst um or not really then because there's a gap from 25th of Feb to the 21st of March of almost a month because usually it was like a two-week gap between the season opener and then um the second event if it was the Grand Prix and then I guess you've got Easter and all that, and then it won't be till after that we go to Talpo. So it's kind of like one race a month for the first five months. Um, and then, yeah, or first six months, actually, through to, um, through to, no, first five, I should say. Yeah, June is, uh, I have no, I, I have no clue. Um, yeah, for the first um, five, so February, March, April, May, June, there's one event per month. Now I've got my act together, so that's that's how it is. And then, yeah, we've got 
kind of back-to-back events in July, or not really back-to-back in terms of as being a double header, but, you know, two events in July, one in August, one in September, two in October and November. So that's the thing, like, you know, I hate having, you know, when you've got F1 who could do 30 races in, in 10 months or whatever, or nine months, I believe it, big yawn as well, yep. Why can't supercars, you know, do a bit more? And then they're talking about, oh, we'll do an exhibition round in with F1 in Qatar next year. Good luck to that. Who's going to stay up and watch that is my question. Anyway, I think now I'm starting to get a bit despondent, so I will gladly end the show on that note. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Uh, be sure to check out the Grid Talk show and their social handles grid talk uk on all most social media platforms as well um have a good weekend uh if you're watching motor gp enjoy i need to really catch up with motor gp i haven't watched a lot of it this year and then yeah i'll be back after next weekend to review the inaugural las vegas grand prix until then bye for now